0: Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. In Revelation chapter two. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning friends, my name is John Schubert, in case you've forgotten. I've uh, been out for a month, but uh, because of God's faithfulness and goodness and mercy, I have returned and I'm excited to be with you. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to make sure you're open to those two places that were just heard read. Psalm 119 and then uh, Revelation chapter 2. I don't know about you, but this time of year I find it helpful to uh, think introspectively a little bit, to examine different areas of my life, um, just to make sure I'm doing okay, make sure I'm heading in the right direction, to just evaluate really uh, what's going on in my heart. So usually at the beginning of each year, I go through this process. I like to examine my marriage, our family, my spiritual life, my job. And because of my job, I like to evaluate Sun Valley Church. And um, I guess you could think of these things as just annual checkups that I like to go through. Today, I'd like to lead you through a specific checkup, spiritual checkup, using Psalm 119 verse 139 and this is how it goes and what I'm going to focus on during this sermon my zeal consumes me. And so the question of course is does my zeal consume me? What is it that consumes me in life? We've been spent we've been about Two plus years in Psalm 119, with a few breaks, um, one to study the book of James, and and um, so we we've looked at these things and one to look at the book of Philippians. We've looked at Psalm 119 for at least two years, and uh, I don't want to discourage you, but I'm finally figuring out how to preach it. Um, and I'm not saying we're going to go back, but I do feel more comfortable about how to preach this amazing and simple but complex chapter in the book of Psalms. In, in this psalm, we have 22 stanzas, if you remember, made up of eight verses each. It's very organized. And these 22 stanzas, of course, are uh, uh, parallel to the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza represents a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and these stanzas, like I said, have eight verses each. And these stanzas all have themes that relate to the importance of the Word of God in our lives. And then these verses that make up the stanzas support that stanza's theme, plus are connected to all the other aspects of the the point of that verse to all of Scripture. So, we have a very well-organized psalm, Psalm 119, made up of 22 stanzas, each stanza, eight verses. Those eight verses, each of them, relate specifically to all parts of Scripture. That's what I'm saying about preaching this psalm. You take, you keep the general focus in view, the importance of the Word of God in our lives, and then you go to the other places in Scripture That are pointed to by that specific verse To help you kind of flesh out the psalm And so this morning I'm going to take verse 139 My zeal consumes me And by way of evaluation Examine our hearts as a church Sun Valley Church And hopefully I've been praying that The Holy Spirit would use this for you to examine your own heart Does your zeal for God consume you? Does your zeal for God's word consume you, or are you like most of us and are consumed by lesser things? The things we confessed earlier in this service. And so let's examine our spiritual zeal this morning together. Some of the things I'll say relate to us as Sun Valley Church, other things are intended for your personal spiritual examination, by way of review, looking at uh, this particular stanza, it's called the Sade stanza. That's a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Sade. Uh, verses 137 to 144. I started that about six weeks ago. Um, then I got sick and got interrupted. But uh, um, if you remember the 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 stanza gives you a hint about what it's about in the very first sentence you are righteous O lord and if you remember i challenged you to think about how well you knew god or do you just know about god you remember that that's what we've been talking about here uh, concerning this verse how well do i know god or or do i just know about him like a trivia game Or, you know, I use the example of Russell Wilson. I I, I can find out some things about Russell Wilson by looking on Wikipedia. But I really don't know Russell Wilson. How well do you know God is the question of this stanza. If you know him, how zealous are you for him? Or is he just an addition to your life? So this is what I want to look at closely this morning. Over the past couple of years, we've learned that Psalm 119 is really a personal expression for love, of, of love for God, rather, uh, and his word. The author's love for God's word is really a love for God at the bottom. Our love for God, of course, is is based on our knowledge of Jesus. We We really don't know God outside of knowing Jesus. And so, I guess you could say, I know how well I know God by how well I know Jesus. So, in verse 139 here, my zeal consumes me, the psalmist describes his passion for God and his word by saying, my zeal for God consumes me. It it takes up my life. It's the most important thing about me. My zeal consumes me. When our affections consume us, it means that we are obsessed in a good way with that person or that thing. As A.W. Tozer wrote, What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. How zealous are you for God? Do you give God a second thought once you leave this building throughout the week? We are zealous for what we love, whether it be people, things, or God. If you're zealous for hunting or stamp collecting or skin care or sports, everyone around you knows it, don't they? Yeah, if you're zealous for a person, that person knows it, and it reflects in your life. If you're zealous for God and his word, it's revealed in your daily life. Everyone around you knows it. Maybe you could discover how zealous for God you are simply by asking your spouse, am I zealous for God? They would know. As we enter 2021 as a church, I want us to be a people who are zealous for God, who are zealous for his word. And as you know, if you've been paying attention over the past month, we've challenged you to pick up a daily Bible reading plan and do your best to follow it in 2021. And by the way, it's not too late to start. Uh, We're only two weeks into this. So pick up a daily Bible reading plan if you want to be zealous for God and pursue God in his word. A daily Bible reading plan. They're simple to follow. Do your best to be faithful in attendance at Sun Valley Church weekly. Don't allow things to interrupt this so easily. When you come, I promise you I'll try my best to preach sermons that will motivate you towards Christ's likeness And if there's one thing we know about Christ, it's what? He had a zeal for God, right? And his word. So how can we develop a zeal for God? To have a zeal for God, of course, as I said, you must love Jesus, his son. Unless you love Jesus, you don't know God and can't be zealous for him jesus is the key here in the matter you remember what jesus said uh, about himself in john 1 he said no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's side he has made him known and who is this god who is at the father's side other than christ (laughs) yeah it's jesus the only way you and i can get to know god is through jesus christ his son Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, right? So the only way that we really can be zealous for God is to be zealous for Christ. So let's look at a biblical definition of loving God from the lips of Jesus. So I would think this would be important to us as Christians, as Christ ones, followers of Jesus. His definition of being zealous for God. We heard one passage read earlier this morning from Matthew chapter 10. I'll read it again to remind you what you heard. Verses 37 and 38. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There you go. There's the contrast. Which is it? Is your family Above God in your heart? Are you more zealous for your children than you are for God? If so, you aren't as zealous for God as you ought to be. According to Jesus. Here's another one. John 8:42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. If you loved God, you'd love me. Jesus said. And then of course, his famous sermon in Luke 9 Jesus said to all if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when it comes when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And then Jesus sums all of this up, all of his philosophy of loving God in Matthew chapter 22, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's no other way to say it more comprehensively. You must be consumed with zeal for God, is what Jesus says. If you're really going to love him. And so we can say from what I've just read to you from the words of Christ. That knowing God is inextricably tied to loving Jesus. Can we agree on that? Knowing God is inextricably tied to loving Jesus. And what does Jesus say about loving him? him? If you love me you'll keep my commandments. You see The connections, right? But here we are in 2021, still having to deal with sin. Have any of you completely conquered sin in 2020? I doubt it. And yet the battle rages on. We continue to fight the fight. We continue to pursue God, pursue a zeal for God. And yet we have this battle with sin that continues. An unrelenting battle and so our love for Christ waxes and wanes is hot and cold you've experienced this haven't you maybe even in the past week it it seems that at times we feel truly zealous for God we true truly desire to know him more to love him more and to demonstrate that love right you've been there and yet there are times also that we just seem to be <laughs> apathetic, indifferent. Come see, come ça," about the whole thing. Right? So now let's, let's turn over to Revelation chapter 2. And really, ex- use Revelation chapter 2 to explain Psalm 119 verse 139, my zeal consumes me. And herein is the, I guess, checkup that I want you to consider. Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. I'm gonna read the whole thing for you again. And I'm gonna ask you to think clearly with me through it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, now just by way of exposition, Uh, That line is the angel of the church of Ephesus is the pastor, the messenger of that church. That's what angel means, messenger. So Jesus is saying to John, who wrote this letter down, write this to the pastor of the Ephesus church. That's what you're hearing right now. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, that is God, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the seven churches that are going to receive a letter from Jesus here in Revelation 2 and 3. This is what Jesus is saying to the pastor of the Ephesian church in the first century I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent our zeal for God as a church. Sun Valley Church, please listen. Revelation, of course, chapter two and three, as I said, contains seven letters from Jesus to real historical churches and pastors in Asia Minor. But these letters are also descriptive of phases of spiritual life or spiritual decline in modern day churches like Sun Valley and in modern day Christians like you and like me. These seven letters are descriptive of the phases we can all be in at one point or another in our Christian life. So Sun Valley Church, let's evaluate ourselves here this morning, and maybe throughout the entire year, let's keep this on the front burner. To understand what's going on back in Psalm 119, verse 139, my zeal consumes me, I want to briefly unpack Revelation two, one through seven. If God is in fact the most perfect and desirable thing in all the universe then we must have the greatest affection for that thing, that being, right? If he is the greatest, most desirable, shouldn't our affections reflect that? Can we really truly be more zealous for muscle cars and makeup than for the almighty God of the universe that's the question that the, the Spirit of God is asking the Ephesian church and asking us this morning asking you personally Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 is an example and warning from scripture this is this is for Sun Valley Church The church at Ephesus teaches us lessons on what it means to know God, love God, and be zealous for him and his word. Helps us understand Psalm 119, verse 139. My zeal consumes me. So let's look at the parallels between the Ephesian church and Sun Valley Church as it relates to these commendations found in verses two, three, and six. All right, so I want you to think about how are we like the Ephesian church when it comes to these commendations? So the Ephesian church was a great church based on what we're reading here in verses 2 and 3 and 6. They worked hard for the cause of Christ, it says in verse 2 and 3. If you like Sun Valley Church, which I, I'm assuming you do because you're here, you, you would love the Ephesian church. They were a good church. The Ephesians weren't lazy. They were sacrificial givers of their time, their their energy, their money. They were a lot like us. And we've talked about this, you know, a few times in the past couple months. In most churches, unfortunately, including Sun Valley Church, there's a group of people called spectators. You know what spectators are, right? They're the people that are in the stands that aren't playing the game, but they're at the field, right? That's what spectators are. Um, Spectators, as it relates to church, like their church. They enjoy the people of their church, which is why they attend. They like the different ways the church ministers. But spectators, and in some churches, it's a large group of people. Thankfully, at Sun Valley Church, it's not a large group of people. It's a small group of people. But these spectators really don't get involved. They aren't intimately connected the life of the church. They, they come on Sundays and that's pretty much it. They aren't really partnering in the gospel ministry, as we learned was important for the life of a Christian in, in the book of Philippians. They're spectators. Here's what's amazing. Ephesus didn't have any of them. They were all involved. Everybody in the, in the church of Ephesus was Intimately connected and participating. They were all connected. It really is amazing. It's impressive. They were all committed and busy in the life of the church. The second thing, besides them being a wonderfully connected and healthy church, in verse 2, talking about things that are commendable, it says that they endured hardship patiently. Did you see that? And of course, we know enough about the first century Christians that they were enduring some difficulty, right? I mean, they were under persecution. It was, it was a bad time in terms of comfort to be a Christian, first century. They were under duress. And to be frank, it may not be long before we are under similar duress, even in America. It takes a special group of people to endure external pressure like the Ephesian church was. How would we do if we had that level of external pressure? I think we've done pretty well, you know, relatively speaking, dealing with this whole COVID thing as a church. We've had a few minor, you know, scuffles about, you know, things that we might disagree on concerning it but for the most part i think we've done pretty well i'm not certain we're experiencing too much more duress than that currently but based on what's happening in our country it may get a little more intense here soon how would we do these folks in ephesus continued to persevere work hard together be committed to christ it was a great church The third thing I want you to notice that's commendable is seen in verse 2 and verse 6. It says they didn't put up with any nonsense. They tested their teachers, and they stayed away from those who would produce evil or sin in their Christian lives. They did their best to stay pure as a church and as individuals within the church. They knew the danger and the damage that sin can do in a local church if allowed to fester. And so they got rid of it quickly. They, they wanted to keep their fellowship, their church, pure. And I think Sun Valley Church has done well at this. If we're, you know, looking at the similarities of these two churches, Sun Valley Church and Ephesus, I think we've been diligent in pursuing holiness as a church. I think we've been diligent in holding each other accountable for our holiness in the church. I I think we've been a discerning church in many ways, especially doctrinally. And of course this comes from the knowledge of the truth. Christian discernment comes from knowing the truth. You can't be discerning without knowing the truth. The Ephesian church had quite a history of formidable teaching. Do you know anything about the history of the Ephesian church? Listen to some of the names of the people who taught them. Priscilla and Aquila were with Paul in planting the church. Apollos says he was mighty in the scriptures. Timothy, you've heard of him. Tychicus, how about the apostles Paul and John? this is the list of their first teaching, their first teachers. They had solid theology. They were trained in the scriptures. So knowledge wasn't their problem. And I would say knowledge isn't our problem at Sun Valley Church. In the early church, as you know, there was a rash of false teaching going around That was the primary emphasis of many of Paul's letters, to correct false teaching in different churches. In fact, you remember back in Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the elders of this Ephesian church who received this letter from Christ. He warned those same elders that false teachers would try to worm their way into the church and disrupt and ruin the church verse 6 back in Revelation 2 says that they hated false teaching especially the false teaching of the Nicolaitans it's not real clear what that was except that it was false, it was harmful, dangerous so what this means is that they were well trained to detect false teaching, they were a discerning church and I think Sun Valley Church is similar in that regard the fourth thing that I want to mention from the commendation side is that this was a good church and they did everything for the name of Christ or the cause of Christ. You see that in verse three? Everything you've done is for the name of Christ. That's commendable. I think it's an important quality, motivation for doing church, for doing the Christian life. Everything the Ephesian church did was for the cause of Christ. Man, that's commendable. Can we say that, Sun Valley? It seems that this was a great church and it's obvious that Jesus was commending them for that they were zealous but this letter in Revelation chapter 2 that I just read for you verses 1 through 7 came only 40 years after they had been planted they'd only been alive for 40 years they were a young church relatively speaking How long has Sun Valley Church been alive? Almost 20 years. We're half as old as they were when they received this letter. So looking at the trajectory of Sun Valley Church, how are we doing? Is this the kind of letter we would receive in a few years? That's why I'm bringing it up. (laughs) Actually, I'm bringing it up because Psalm 119, verse 139 says we need to be zealous for God. This is just the support for that. How are we doing, Sun Valley Church, when it comes to zeal for God? How are you doing, Christian, who is attending Sun Valley Church, when it comes to zeal for God? Let's look now at the parallels of condemnation. I want to show you some parallels of commendation. I want us to see if the shoe fits here as Jesus' condemnation of the Ephesian church does that shoe fit here look at verse 4 but I have this against you you know oops things are great at your church except I have this against you you've left your first love (laughs) after all the wonderful commendation that they were hearing from Jesus To hear this from the lips of Jesus must have been crushing, shocking, painful. What after all was all their hard work about? They had no spectators, they were all connected, they were all going for it. What in the world could possibly be wrong? How else do we demonstrate our love for Christ, our zeal for God, other than to be active here? Well, we're gonna find out. This church had a stellar church history. I think Sun Valley has a stellar history. The Apostle Paul was instrumental in planting the church. The Apostle John was one of their pastors. I'm not an apostle by any means, but my name is John. This church was working hard. What else could Jesus possibly want? (laughs) From them, from us, how did it go sideways? Why the condemnation? Well, listen closely, and then I'm gonna spend the rest of the sermon unpacking this. Devotion to Christ, having a loving zeal for him and his word, seemed to have been replaced by dutiful service, by spiritual coolness, and an underlying apathy. They are able to continue doing the steps without the heart. Their initial passion for Jesus had faded. It had grown cold, even while continuing To do church well. We see the same things happening in ancient Israel. In other words, it's not a new pattern. It's a well-established pattern in God's people. Jeremiah chapter 2. By the way, this isn't unique to Jeremiah. Most of the prophets are concerned with this very thing in the Old Testament. But let's look at Jeremiah chapter 2. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. This is what God says, Jerusalem, Israel. I remember the devotion of your youth. God speaking to Israel. Your love as a bride. How you followed me in the wilderness and in a land not sown. Oh, I remember those wonderful days of your first love. Then God continued through Jeremiah three verses later. He said, thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? They went after worthless and became worthless. Why did they leave? What did I do? God is asking. Why did you leave your first love, Israel? God said similar things through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 16. He said, I took you when you were despised and unattractive and made you my wife. I cleaned you up, clothed you with fine garments, and then you became proud of your beauty and forsook me. You chased after others and played the prostitute with the world." Wow. The honeymoon was over, I would say, with Israel, with the Ephesian church. Their love had cooled. And when love cools, what's not far behind? Apathy. Right? happens in every relationship. When love cools, apathy is right on the heels. This happened to the nation of Israel, it happened to the church in Ephesus. The Ephesian church was continuing to do all things right, but without affection for Jesus. It would be like playing house with your spouse. How would you like it if your spouse announced to you that they didn't love you anymore, but would continue to live with you and nothing would really change? How would that fly? They would continue doing their part in the marriage, minus the love. I'll still be your husband, I'll still go to work, I'll still mow the lawn on Saturday, I'll do what husbands are supposed to do, but I just want you to know I don't love you anymore. This is exactly what was going on in Israel and in the Ephesian church. God, we really appreciate you, but we don't love you anymore. We're going to keep playing church. Is that all right with you? This happens to every church. Did you hear that? This happens to every church unless they nurture their affection for Christ. And constantly examine their hearts and constantly renew their love. It happens to every relationship. This will happen to Sun Valley Church unless we recommit ourselves to deepening our love for Christ and continue to regularly encourage one another to pursue him wholeheartedly. This must be one of our primary concerns with one another. Do you have zeal for God? Do you love Him with all your heart? How is your affection for Jesus, Christian friend? These are the questions, these type of questions we ought to be asking one another regularly. Oh, Sun Valley Church, we need to sit up and take notice in 2021. We need to examine ourselves. This, just to be frank, is one of my greatest fears as your pastor. That we're going to show up to church some Sunday and realize that the fire is out and the spirit is gone. And then we look at each other and saying, what happened? So, let's open our hearts and examine our love for the Savior in 2021 and beyond. Let's be sure of what is behind our faithful service and our doctrinal precision. Let's not drift from a genuine affection for God. Let's tether tightly to the dock of God as a church and as Christians. Many of you have been here since we planted in 2003. We started this church in 2003 for those of you who don't know and we're meeting for eight years at East Valley High School. Those of you who were here can surely remember the intense love for Christ that made up our vision, can't you? You can remember that. We were going nuts at that time for the cause of Christ. Our zeal was unquestionable. You remember that mutual interest that we shared for exalting Christ and making much of him? You remember that? If you could measure our current passion for Christ at Sun Valley Church against that passion we had at first, could you detect any cooling? What happened to the Ephesian church can happen to any church. Ephesus was a fantastic church. And in fact, it does happen to every church that does not intentionally strive to deepen their affection for Christ. We can say that if our love isn't growing, it's fading. If our love isn't growing, it's fading. It's not only true in marriage, it's true in your relationship with God. It's true in our relationship with God as a church. So what's the solution? How do we guard against this horrendous, seemingly inevitable situation. Well, thankfully, (laughs) Jesus' letter to the Ephesian church tells us what we can do. Aren't you glad about that? (laughs) Every time the Bible presents a problem, it gives us the answer in the same passage, every time. What a wonderful Savior and God we have. <clears throat> Let's look at the road to recovery, verse 5. Revelation 2, 5, the road to recovery. Or the road, maybe, to avoiding this fiasco to begin with. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. We're going to cover three R's here to help us steer clear of apathy. Apathy loss of zeal. Three R's. The first is remember. Remember. (laughs) So much of our spiritual drift is the result of forgetting, isn't it? We forget simple things. You know what anniversaries are all about, right? Men, pay attention here. You know what anniversaries are about. It's about remembering your love for one another that's what it is that's why you do it annually it's called an anniversary remembering so much of spiritual drift is a result of forgetting this is what happened to Israel this is what happened to Ephesus we we forget the greatness of God We forget the depth of his love. We forget the heinousness of our sin and really don't think it's all that bad after a while. We forget the love of our Savior towards us even while we were sinners. We forget the transformation his grace produced in us early on. Don't we? We forget. So how do we do better at remembering? The Christian life is made up of things to remember. What do we do every month here, and when we were meeting more regularly, we did it twice a month, but what do we do at least once a month here, the first Sunday of the month? We remember the death of our Lord, don't we? It's called the Lord's Supper. We have elements sitting here in front of you. The broken bread, the cup of juice representing his blood and we serve them to you and say, please remember. Please remember. Pay attention when we gather to remember the Lord's Supper. Listen to what's being said to you. Remember the love of Christ for you. Additionally, What do we do every Sunday? It's happening right now. We open up God's love letter and read it to you and preach it to you, explain it to you. This is God's love letter to you. We teach you directly from this, a copy of what God has said concerning his love towards us. We open up the scriptures to be sure that you are reminded of all we have in Christ Our sermons are intentionally designed to take you back to Jesus and his love weekly. Every week, we also have small groups that gather to remind each other of the great and loving Savior that we have, which is why we promote our small groups so regularly, so that you'll be a part of this intimate fellowship of believers who are trying to remember the love of God towards us, who are trying to be zealous in our Christian life, who are trying to practice our love for God by loving each other. We encourage one another in our small groups to deepen our affections for Christ. And if you're not in a small group, I would encourage you to join one. And if you're in a small group, I would remember that that's why you're meeting. Another strategy for remembering is to constantly see new spiritual life come into our church. That is one of the greatest joys of my life, is to see someone come to faith and grow. And ask questions that they're ashamed to ask because they seem so simple, but to remind the rest of us of the simplicity of our faith, the importance of basic fundamental things. That happens every time a new Christian, a a recent convert or a young believer comes into our fellowship and demonstrates a hunger for God, demonstrates a zeal for God, a first love that reminds us of where we should be. We love having new believers here and since that's so important, to remembering our first love. Sun Valley Church, are you loving God by loving the lost and sharing Christ with them? Are you inviting people to come here so that they will know Christ and his love and forgiveness and that God would use them to remind us of where we should be? Remember. What's next in verse 5? What, what's the next R? It says repent and do the works you did at first remember and then repent and you might be thinking like the ephesian church probably did when they heard this letter read for the first time what are we repenting of we're doing everything right well let me share with you something simple it's called sins of omission There's sins of commission things that you do that are wrong but there are sins of omission, which simply is not doing the things you should be doing. That's what's in view here. Sins of omission, repenting of coolness of heart is the call in verse five, repent and return. Repent of coolness of heart. Repent of allowing worldly things priority in our hearts over our love for Christ. Things that are good, family, vocation, hobby, all good, but should never replace our zeal for God, our love for Christ. Repent of those things. When we're called to repentance here in verse 5, we're repenting of not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're repenting of allowing small things to creep into our hearts that distract us from daily communion with our Savior. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. I don't understand it. It's sins of omission. Friends, we need to agree with God that these things are sin. And we need to turn from them and run to Christ who is standing there with open arms, like the prodigal father. Whose son didn't deserve his love, who had run away from home, who would lost his zeal for his father, and yet he was standing there with open arms when he returned. It's exactly the picture you need to keep in mind if you've lost your zeal for God. C.H. Spurgeon said, You can easily find the beginning of your love to Christ, but his love to us is a stream whose source is hidden in eternity. We can all trace back to where we first encountered Christ, right? We remember those days, that day maybe even. I still remember praying to receive Christ when I was nine years old. I still remember being baptized. We can trace that back, but we can't trace the love of Christ because it's it's held in eternity. He loved you before you were born. So we never doubt the love of God towards us. The Bible is a record of God's love towards his people. At any moment you can turn from where you are, no matter how cool your heart is, and run to the wide open arms of Jesus. He is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of drifting folks like us. He created and loves our souls, especially when it's drifting while we were yet sinners what did christ do died for us he demonstrated the greatest possible demonstration of love by dying for us while we were sinners so he will certainly receive you back into the fellowship when you come running to him the third R. Is also seen in verse 5 and also in verse 7. Return. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the ways you did at first. Return. Go back to the beginning. Go back to where you were when you began to be consumed with zeal for God. Remember those, the, the deep affection that you had for Christ. Go back. Remember when you were in constant communion and loved those times of fellowship with other believers and with the Holy Spirit. Go back. Return. Renew your affection for Jesus as it once was. Not 20 years ago, I was hunting with some friends up on Darlin Mountain, in West Valley area, well west of West Valley area. And uh, we started at the very top of Darlin Mountain and we were gonna work our way down to where we were camping. Um, And uh, we could see, I could see our campground about five miles away from the top of Darlin Mountain. I knew exactly where I needed to go. And so we started hunting that day very early, I think it was almost dark even. Uh, but just getting light and so we started hunting and there was like four or five of us and we all went kind of in different directions and said we'll meet at supper time at camp well I get down into the woods and been hunting for about an hour or two and I come to a clearing I can't see the camp I have no idea where I am I'm going I just saw it an hour ago and I'm looking, I'm wandering around, looking left and right, up and down, and no clue. I was stone cold lost. No idea. Freaked me out. Like I've never been freaked out in my life. It's a weird feeling that overtakes you when you're lost, especially in the woods. So what did I do? I, I thought, well, let me think about this. I know where I came from, the top of the mountain. And from there, I could see the camp. So I walked back up wasted an entire hour walking back up to the top of the mountain so I could see the camp again. Ah, there it is. Walked back down, started hunting again. Same thing happened. (laughs) I got lost again. It's something about the topography up there that totally messed me up. So I walked back to the top of the mountain a second time. Looked where I was and then walked back down again. This is what we need to do, friends, in the Christian life. Go back to where you started, where you could see clearly, where you had a clear vision of Christ and the love of God, and start again. Sometimes we just have to do what needs to be done until that zeal, that passion, those affections return to the heart. Get up and read your Bible. Get up and pray. Get up and go to church and participate in your small group while the whole time pleading with God to renew the affections of your heart. Go back to the top of the mountain and start again. Don't stay lost. And you'll know when that fire, that zeal, and that affection slowly returns to your life and to your heart when you realize that your desires are beginning to pull you Christward. You'll be excited to pray once again. You'll look forward to reading the scriptures, attending church and fellowshipping with the saints. Those affections will return, if you'll return. Jesus ends his letter to the Ephesian church in verse seven. He says, if you'll remember If you'll repent, if you'll return, you'll conquer. You see that in verse 7? You'll conquer. And not only will you conquer, you'll eat from the tree of life one day. You looking forward to that day? Just a little, little while longer, and that day will be a reality. We can put all this struggle behind and we'll be with him forever in perfect, affectionate communion. Pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would do this for us as a church, that you would draw us back to our first love, and that we would be a church that is zealous for God zealous for his word in love with our savior help this this to be the predominant thing that marks our lives here at Sun Valley I pray that you would do this corporately but also we know that unless it happens personally it won't happen corporately And so I ask for each and every individual in this room this morning that you would in fact do your work of grace in us. Renew our passion and our affections for Jesus our Savior. Draw us to yourself once again. Help us to have a heart full of zeal. And I pray this for the glory of Christ. I pray this for the cause of Christ, for his name's sake and for our joy, amen.